You're listening to yet another episode of Classic Movies Live, and I am way too close to the mic. I'm going to push this mic just a little bit back. Pierre, how you doing? How you doing? It's almost the end of 2022, and this is going to be episode, I think this is episode two, actually, of season four. How does it feel to be in season four, Pierre? It's crazy. I I, I never thought we, like when I started, I didn't think we'd, we'd have made it this far, so... I don't know how many episodes I necessarily expected us to get to, but like, I definitely didn't think that this would outlast both of our degrees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, maybe yours, not mine. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, sorry, not graduate. I, I guess like the overall amount of years was way longer oh. for me. I did. Oh, graduate. yeah. That's... Yeah, don't worry about it. Okay, cool. Yeah, the, the I mean, it, we haven't gone on quite that long yet. My I was in school for eight years, so... Oh we're, yeah, there you go. So yeah, we're kind of That's in the fine. Same boat. We're going to get to like Yeah, we're we're going to get to our 10 year anniversary eventually. Probably right, talk about yeah. new mutants again we're, or something. We're waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> the 10th the 10 year anniversary of the release when it becomes like is the sleeper hit and like 10 years later it becomes like the biggest X-Men movie ever. No, but like, okay, so like straight up though, if we do make it to a 10th year of Classic Movies Live, I'm not going to commit to anything right now, but like if we made it to a 10th year, I think it would be really cool for us to do an entire season of just going back and reviewing movies we'd already reviewed to see how they hold up. Have they in fact cemented themselves as classics? I'm very ready to be proven wrong about Glass. Be like, or if okay, like theoretically, if we stopped in two years, that would be like our. It'd be interesting to be like, you know, in like the movies where they have like the the gang gets together after like three years, like the like Scooby Doo. Every time they reboot, it's like the gang was split split apart, and then they yeah they're back together. Be like a reboot of our old series. That would be yeah. We gotta conceptually, that'd be really interesting. I, don't, I definitely don't want to plan out quitting for a long time and then rebooting but i think it would be cool if that happened naturally if it happened naturally just an interesting concept well before we get to the future which uh is gonna take a while anyway we gotta talk about 2022 today we are gonna do a 2022 year in review i think we've done at one of these every year i don't remember for sure what 2019 was like we might not have done a 2019 year in review but like I know we did a 2020, we did 2021, and now it's 2022 time. So how uh, was yeah. what did what did you think of this year? What do you think of this year for movies, Pierre? Uh, I mean it's it's way better than the last two years of movies, other than like I think 2020 was like all right, but you know, obviously there was a lot going on at the time. Uh yeah. 2021 was probably like the worst movies have been in like a long time in my opinion. So this this year's like a I wouldn't say it's a huge step up or maybe maybe just because I'm looking back on it and I'm like, hey, wait a sec. There's not that many amazing movies in here. But I've had a lot of, I guess, memorable experiences this year with movies, which is really nice. I think like a big part of that, too, not even joking, was the fact that Nope and Top Gun Maverick came out this year. Like Top Gun Maverick is one of my top movies of the year. But the reason I specifically say that it's like the reason movies were good this year is like, it's sort of an indicator for studios are finally okay releasing their big movies again, because Mm. Top Gun Maverick sat waiting and making new trailers for like three years. It was going to come out in in 2020, 
then that didn't happen. And like, there was a new trailer for it every six months or something. And it just never came out until this year. And the fact that it finally released is like, okay, big movies are coming back to theaters now. Yeah. Well, not just big movies. It's also like, I mean, we've had a lot of smaller movies this year that I've really liked too. Mm-hmm. Um, like again, <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once, Banshees of Inishirant, you know, yeah, the usual, but yeah, it's a good year. And um, I think there's still a lot of room to improve for next year, but I think this is probably the most fun I've had in the theaters in a while, if that makes sense. There's like a lot. I felt like there's just a lot of variety in movies this Mm -hmm. year. Not all of them were like the best of the best, but like they were all very interesting to watch and fun movie experiences. So, yeah. Here's just like a couple of things I saw in theaters this year. I saw high frame rate underwater action scenes. I saw a stop motion version of Pinocchio that was incredible. And I saw an elephant shit on a man. So like, I've seen a lot of cool variety this year. And I'm going to talk about all but one of those movies in this episode. Wait, I have, we didn't talk about Pinocchio, right? We did not talk about Pinocchio. Oh, okay, cool. That's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Uh, you explain the concept. Go ahead. Yeah, so usually what we do in these end-of-year reviews is we talk about our our top five movies or our top ten movies. I never remember, like, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's ten, kind of depends on how long we want to talk. But we'll talk about, like, our top five movies of the year and just go back and forth. And that always takes a while. It's not going to be shorter today, I don't think. But um, one thing that I realized when I was going through my top five, and then I ran this by Pierre, and I think it was the same for you, of my top five movies of this year, we have ta- we've had episodes on two of them and talked at length about another one of them. And of my top 10, it's like basically the same with the next five. So I was like, there's, we've, I've, we've talked about all these. As much as I want to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once, a lot, there's only so much I can say about it. And so I yeah. remember, I, so I told you like, let's talk about movies we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. So I picked, for me, five of the best movies I've seen this year that we haven't talked about yet. Yes, and I have also picked five (laughs) movies that I had to desperately search for that we have not talked about uh, this year yet. Whether they are good or bad might vary, but yeah. So I guess like that's a pretty important qualifier here. We picked five movies we didn't talk about on the podcast yet. They may not all be good. But they're all fun, I think. I don't think you picked any movies that are, like, horrible. No, I, 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 I found a couple movies on Netflix, and now we're at, like, I enjoyed all these movies. Okay, cool. For sure, yeah. Do you want to just sort of get into it? How do we want to... Obviously, we'll go back and forth, but how do we want to mm-hmm. start this one off? Um. Well, what, what, was your, what was your top movie that we haven't talked about yet, Jeff? Oh, I don't want to. I'm I'm saving I'm saving it for the I'm saving the last. Oh, you want to do five for the end? Oh, okay, you want to uh, do the worst first? The, okay. So, like, these are generally unranked, but there is one that I specifically want to talk about last, and it is my favorite of the year that we haven't talked about yet. Okay. But I think the first one I'm going to talk about is probably the one I saw earliest this year. It's a movie called Inu O. <laughs> don't you know Inu O's story? Apparently, he's hideous. You're wearing a mask? What happens when you take it off? <laughs> You'll see. You're in for a shock. I can't see. 
Pierre, have you heard of this movie? No. So it's awesome. Uh, Inu O is by Masaki Yuasa, who did he did a show on Netflix called Devil Man Crybaby, which is like wow. insanely messed up. <laughs> I don't know. Have yeah. you seen it? No. It's an anime, but it's like Japanese censors get pretty sensitive about things a lot. And uh, Devil Man Crybaby seems illegal. How much how much of it should be censored and just isn't. It's ridiculous. And it's like heartbreaking all the way through. Anyway, uh, he then also made another movie a couple years ago called Ride Your Wave, which is a movie about surfing, which is again... heartbreaking and it's like a teen romance but it's got some little magical elements and it's about depression and grief and it's very very sad anyway he very quickly became one of my favorite directors this year and his latest movie is called inu o which is a sort of historical magical fantasy movie about the i believe it's the heike period in japanese in japanese history it's about a biwa player. A biwa is like a traditional Japanese instrument who uh, meets a cursed child who's a really good dancer. And together they become the most sought after punk rock band in ancient Japan. And it's awesome. Like, it's just, oh, it's cute. like, it's a musical. Like, as soon as they meet up and start singing, the story is still there, but the story becomes a little thin in service of them just telling these big epic hero stories about heroes that no one's ever heard about because that this child he finds Inu O is cursed, but he can like talk to spirits. And so he hears these spirits histories and they turn them into big songs and like huge stage productions and get very famous for their awesome stage productions. And like, the movie is just that animated all the time. Like they'll just, when, when they like get together and in universe are like, oh, they're doing a show. They just show us the whole show and it's awesome. It's just like these huge stage productions and it's all set to like weird punk rock, which is very cool. I, I do. That sounds very, I don't know. This sounds like, uh, have, you, have you seen that, that show Star Wars Visions at all? I have not. Oh, okay. There's there's like a very anime inspired. There's a lot of very animated anime inspired shorts from it based on the Star Wars universe, and one of them is about, I guess, a pop punk band that slowly rises. Or <laughs> no, they play in front of Jabba the Hutt or something, and it's like it's a whole thing. Anyways, I don't know. It reminds me of that. Maybe that's a very common Japanese trope. I guess. Well, I mean, it's like it's about like a time in Japanese history where. You know, well, obviously music has always been important to just about every culture, but it's a time where like specifically a lot of the oral histories and the like and and the theatrical craft was changing. So a big underlying conflict is that the reason they're kind of depicted as a punk band is symbolic in itself, because at the time what they're doing is they're telling non they're telling stories that aren't like approved by the emperor and the like predominant theater troupe. So they're like going against culture by telling these stories about forgotten warriors, which may or may not 
carry morals that the king at the time wants his people to know because they are about to be at war if they're not already at war. Yeah, yeah. It's very much about like the importance of bards and stories and music. Oh, okay. The guy who plays Inu O, the dancer, is the same guy who sings the cover of Staying Alive from Bullet Train. Whoa, what the hell? Yeah, it's awesome. Bullet Train movie. (laughs) And actually, I think by the time this episode comes out, Inu O is available to like watch legally and rent online and all of that. And you should watch it if you're listening to this because it is awesome. Cool. It's, it's, how do you spell it? Inu. I N U O H. Oh, I see it now. Wait a sec. It says it's a 2021 film. Then I guess you. I guess it was dubbed. It's technically 2021 because it actually. I don't know if it premiered there, but it came out. It was playing at the Toronto International Film Festival last year, mm-hmm. and I've been like trying to get my hands on it since then. And it had a theatrical release this year, finally. Oh, okay. Okay, that's good. Fine. I'll let it go this time. It came out the weekend of the Kendrick Lamar concert, and I planned my entire weekend in such a way that I could watch Inu O, see Kendrick Lamar, and then go to Kelowna without, like, any of those things interfering. Because, and, like, I, I waited until Inu O was, like, announced to get all of those things because it was a one-day release at the time. Oh, it ended up being a week, but it was announced as a one-day release. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. I like the idea of uh, one-day releases. I don't know. It makes it feel so much more eventful. It feels special, but what I don't like is that G-Kids does that for new movies, and I just don't understand that because sometimes these are movies I want to see, and sometimes I can't go Friday at 2 p.m. So, anyway, that's my first movie I really wanted to talk about. It's been a while since I've watched it, so I can't delve into the themes too much more. And I also don't really want to spoil it. It's just awesome and everyone should see it. But uh, I do hope that uh, you will watch it, Pierre, and then we can talk about it more. Why did that sound like a threat? <laughs> it, because it, I will watch well, it. you know, it, 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 wasn't, it, it wasn't not a threat, is what I'll say. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> then so I Pierre, will not not watch it. Oh, <laughs> wait. Yeah, something like that. Hmm. What's a what's a movie you want to talk about, Pierre? Um, I want to talk about. I guess yeah, the first one will probably be Slumberland. Dad, one story. All right, I got one you never heard before. It's in place. You can only dream of. Well, the whole world is turned upside down. You've never seen anything like it. Welcome to my world, kid. Name Flip. This is the world of dreams. Slumberland. You can wish for whatever you want here. Which was a Netflix release. Have you seen it? I have not. It's the one, oh, okay. but like the the poster has Jason Momoa sitting on a big bed, right? Yeah, it's it's a very. I like. I was not gonna watch it. My what what'll happen is my mom will will be looking for a movie to watch, and my mom will just pick whatever is like big on Netflix. 
um, or any actually any movie she sees <laughs> that's from Netflix first. Uh, and yeah, this came out, I think, relatively recently, November 18th. So like about a month ago. And it stars Jason Momoa, Chris O'Dowd, Kyle Chandler. I, I like all these guys. I don't know this. I guess the main main character is Nemo, played by Marlo Barkley. I, I haven't seen her in anything before. But yeah, it was a very, I guess just a very surprising movie. I, I looked at it and I thought it was going to be trash. Um, it had a very like childish setup and it's a very much like a kid's movie but it has some great performances in it i i like jason momoa i didn't think this guy could actually act but he really surprised me in this i always saw him as just kind of acting like himself uh, i mean not in game of thrones he acted he acted <laughs> obviously not in game of thrones i hope but i guess in game of thrones he was only in he was actually in it for only like a couple of episodes he was not there very long yeah well it's all he needed to become famous funny enough but um, for sure yeah, like I, I'd seen him in, I've really seen him in his like Aquaman, I want to say. And Aquaman, I feel like he's, he really is just playing himself from what I can tell. In a good way, like I think he's great in the role for the most mm-hmm. part, um, but he's not someone I, I really love. Um, but yeah, in this, in Slumberland, he's, he's very much like the main draw in terms of, he's like, he just, he reminded me so much of Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow um in this which is not a vibe i'd ever thought i would get from this movie which is really interesting because he was really and he's just very goofy and like charismatic and uh he he played it off in a very childish way which i thought was great um and yeah it's it's just a very interesting movie about dealing with with your grief and there's a very sweet story about because i guess that her the girl and Jason Momoa kind of bond in like the main story, but then the subplot is her also trying to bond with her uncle because her her father passed away. And her uncle, who is basically, uh, he's a doorknob salesman. So <laughs> it's a very efficient way of saying his character is pretty boring and his only passion really is doorknobs. But yeah, it's, it's just a really cute story. I, I haven't seen Chris O'Dowd in any, anything I really like since like the IT crowd, which is like, I want to say more than 10 years ago now. Uh, but yeah, he was really, really good in this. I loved him in this. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but what is this movie actually about? I, I know you've oh, said a lot it's, of the themes, but like I'm, I'm, I actually don't know yeah. what this movie it's is. It's tough to say. It, it reminds me a lot of Bridget Terabithia, where basically it's through her grief. She kind of, she, when she dreams, she dreams up of this. There's a dream world. And actually, I, I guess it's left you know, relatively uh, ambiguous, whether it's real or not. But I don't think it really matters for the story. Um, But every time she goes to sleep after her dad dies, which happens in like the first five minutes, she goes to this dream world where she meets her dad's imaginary friend, I think. And they are looking for an orb in this dream world that will give her any wish she wants and her wishes to see her dad back. So that's kind of like the main plot in, in the dream world. So yeah. And then the dream world is just kind of like everyone, everyone has, it's kind of like, <laughs> this also reminds me that, you know, the, the, that SpongeBob episode where they, they jump between people's dreams and they, they ruin them. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. 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 So like basically Jason Momoa's character, he dream hops or whatever, and he ruins other people's dreams. So he's on the run from the dream police. Yeah. Which are basically... I'm I'm referencing a lot of other movies here, but this they remind me of the TVA where he's he's kind of a rogue person and they're trying to get him from trying to trap him and arrest him from being in other people's dreams. Uh and he befriends the girl because 
she recognizes him from her dad's stories and uh, they go to try to find that that pearl that will give her any wish she wants that's a very long-winded way of saying that but yeah it reminds me like when you say that it reminds me a little bit of uh the imaginarium of dr parnassus except Mm, like I don't remember that movie very well. So I guess maybe it reminds me of the vibes that movie gave off in terms of yeah. like the, what, what you're saying about it. It's very familiar. I, I feel like from what I remember both, both movies use a lot of heavy green screen, but in a way where it's like, I don't want to say it's just the vibe is like, it's obviously CGI, but it's like, it's CGI that wants to be seen as CGI, if that makes sense. Like it kind of gives this weird vibe, like this almost hallucinogenic vibe. Like it's uh, it's not trying to look real; it's trying to look fake, like a dream. Like yeah. you know you're in a dream. Yeah, almost like those old Spy Kids <laughs> effects that are kind of famous. Even though those, I think some of those were <laughs> trying to be real. <laughs> but yeah. oh yeah, it, like the CGI in Spy Kids one has aged exactly as it was supposed to. Yeah, they knew what they It's were. aged very poorly and it was supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it's a it's a surprisingly mature story, even though it's very obviously designed to be like a, a kid's movie. But it's very dark for a kid's movie too. I think that's that's part of the problem. It, it received pretty mixed reviews, which I was well, I was really surprised I liked it um so much. But it it's a very tonally off movie where it feels like seven year olds should be watching it, but like it has it has some themes that re- really only hit if you were like twenty, I want to say too. But I, I thought I thought it was a great movie. Not not amazing. It obviously had a lot of flaws, but like it was a very interesting watch for sure, and felt very felt very pure. I don't want to say it, but yeah, yeah. So that's my my fifth choice. Heck yeah! I'm not just saying this because I obviously should be hyping up every movie on our lists, but I definitely wasn't super interested in it before and now i'm like damn i gotta go watch that if it wasn't midnight here i'd probably turn it on right after this this episode well yeah don't get mad at me if it's bad (laughs) it has like 38 on rotten tomatoes so part of me is like maybe it's just really bad and rotten tomatoes doesn't mean anything critics aren't good at their jobs i yeah sometimes sometimes they're right so so, sometimes yeah when they agree with me, they're, they're okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What's your fourth movie, Jeff? So this year, I went to the Toronto International Film Festival, as I have said many times. And uh, that was a really cool experience because I got to see a lot of movies early. And I got to see a lot of movies that potentially I would not have had time to see afterwards. This is a movie that I, the one I'm talking about now is a movie that I definitely would have tried to see once it comes out. I believe it releases December 25th, literally on Christmas. But I luckily don't even have to think about that. Although I might try and go see it again anyway. But like, I got to see it at the Toronto International Film Festival, which is very cool. I'm talking about Women Talking, which is, I mean, it's basically exactly my kind of movie. It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We will be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and 
terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. It is better than hatred of the familiar. We could not endure any more violence. Last year, my favorite movie of the year was Drive My Car, uh, which is three hours of people talking and like nothing really happened. Most of the action actually happening off screen. Like it's very much just dialogues and women talking is also that. It's a lot of women talking. And there, there isn't a whole lot that happens during the actual body of the movie, but it's really great. For a while, this was my number three of the year. It's moved down a little bit, but it's still like very high up because I think this movie is really effective. It's, it's got really effective dialogues. Like it's got extremely good writing. Before I continue, this movie, Women Talking, is about a Mennonite colony in 2010 where all of the men leave for a weekend. They don't leave for the weekend because like they because of anything special. Like, I think there may be some reason that like a few of them are gone that wouldn't normally be gone. Like someone got injured, but they're leaving like to go and get supplies or something. Cause it's a very isolated community. And during the weekend that all the men are gone, the women get together and they appoint like a council of women to decide whether or not they should stay, leave, or basically like, to decide what they should do about the men because they have just found out after a while that they are being heavily abused by the men. I don't want to say too many specifics. The Wikipedia summary has the specifics of this. I don't think it's too hard to figure out. I just think it's like really gross. Um, but like it's a Mennonite colony that lives very isolated and the and it's very patriarchal. The men basically functionally own all the women and are very exploitative towards them. Some women like get it worse than others, I guess, but mm. eventually all of the women get together and they decide they have had enough and they need to make a decision of, will they stay behind and fight the men and like basically take over the colony? Will they stay behind and forgive them and just like move on? Or will they all get together and leave the colony? They all have to do the same thing because if only a couple of women do each, it's not going to, they're, they're just they're not going to, yeah. yeah, they're just screwed. So they have to form a united front. And so they appoint like a council of women from the, from the community, a mix of the elders and the younger ones, and just kind of a mix of everyone to get together and discuss what they should do. Because I think they have a three-way tie. So they pick people from each of the three groups, essentially, to get together and discuss and come to a final decision. And the reason that I like this movie so much is like, I think the script does a really good job of explaining things like power dynamics and social hierarchies and specifically what male privilege actually means because they have long conversations complete with allegory and like all sorts of things explaining the ways that they've been abused not just physically, but like mentally and the way that society, that their society has been specifically constructed like against them. And like, I don't think anyone who's hearing me, who's listening to this episode is going to accuse me of like 
making that sound like they're being whiny. But like, just to be clear, they're not. It's really cool how this movie is able to, like, first off, present the facts of a case and then talk about exactly how these things happened within their society and what led to them. And like how each of the women individually has either fought against these things or contributed to them or done nothing and what that's affected. And like, it's just so thorough. And it's it's basically a crash course in what is male privilege and what is a patriarchal society. And I cannot talk about this from a woman's perspective, obviously, but as a man who has not heard a lot of these things, like put simply before, I think this is a really good, probably not a great word for this, but it's a really good crash course for people who want to learn about actual social justice causes and what they mean. And like, the movie is much more than that, but that's basically the perspective that I can bring to it. And I think that it's extremely effective in that and like actually consistently gripping, even though it's literally just seven women in a room talking to each other. Mm. So like the the dialogue must be crazy. The dialogue like, is amazing. It, yeah, yeah. It might be the best screenplay of any movie I've seen this year. I feel like it has to be because it sounds like it's like mostly <laughs> script is doing the heavy work here. Yeah. That's cool though. I like that. I don't know. It kind of... It makes me think of, uh, I don't know, what's that movie? It was like My Dinner with Andre or whatever, which is just two people talking as well. Yeah, I think that I think My Dinner with Andre is relatively short. I think it's only an hour and a half, but like mm. I embarrassingly have not seen My Dinner with Andre, but like that's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly the type of movie it is. And like, yeah. I mean, I, I brought it up in the same breath as Drive My Car for a reason. Because like, that was also what I liked about Drive My Car is the dialogue in that movie was really good. It was really long. It was three hours. And like, you know, I understand anyone who didn't like love the fact that it was a three hour long movie where nothing happened. But the dialogue in it was like next level. And this yeah. it's the same with Women Talking, which is much shorter than three hours, actually. So, yeah. Well, this is, yeah, they both just sound like really raw movies, I guess. Mm-hmm. which I feel like is something you like. It definitely actually. seems to be a trend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the only other Rob movies I can think of are those. Who's that guy? Who's the guy that directed like White Christmas and... and oh, God, Beard, Joe Swanberg. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I don't I like him. That. I know, yeah, that's what, that would have been perfect if you did. And I know you're a type, but... So like the movies that I, the movies I'm talking about, the movies that I like that are just very raw like that, I don't think I would fight back too hard if someone told me they were pretentious, probably just because I don't think that if some, I think if someone called women talking pretentious, I just probably wouldn't want to talk to that person about that movie. But like, I think the thing that I like about those movies and that I don't like about Joe Swanberg is I do kind of think that Joe Swanberg's movies are a little pretentious and they're pretentious from, maybe it's not even pretension really. It's Joe Swanberg comes from, like he approaches those movies from the perspective of, I don't know, like a a white American dude that's a little bit older than me. And like, that's just not that interesting a perspective to me where Drive My Car and Women Talking are both coming from... It's like I'm learning something. Like I'm seeing the... Like they're, they're letting me get a glimpse of, a, of the world from a very different perspective than my own. 
where Joe Swanberg's perspective is like something I could do, not something I could do myself, but that's a way that I could see the world myself. And I don't really think I want to, because that's not an appealing perspective for me. So, okay. So you're saying if you weren't, if you weren't Canadian or American, you might enjoy Joe Swanberg. Maybe, maybe if I was, maybe if I'd grown up in Italy, I would really like Joe Swanberg. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. You just, you don't want to watch your own life. Like that's just like, what's the point Just live your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. I get what you mean. I feel like Joe Swanberg is like the enemy of our podcast. <laughs> I mean, I would like nothing more than to get Joe Swanberg on the podcast. Not even kidding. <laughs> Let's get Joe Swanberg on the podcast and we'll talk about phone booth starring Colin Farrell. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Also what's kind of cool about, uh, about women talking is that it is directed by Sarah Pauly, who is Canadian. Mm. So it's a Canadian oh, cool. movie. And it's like, cool. it's notable that it's a Canadian movie, not because it's a Canadian movie, but because of the people that are in it. Women Talking stars Frances McDormand, Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, and Rooney Mara, uh, and Ben Wishaw, who are like all pretty big names. And like, I don't, think I've seen any of them in a purely in in a purely Canadian movie so it's like a very it's it's very big for a Canadian movie I don't know many Canadian movies to be honest which I I mean I think that's a problem I I have the same problem but like what's interesting to me about this is that it's a Canadian movie that I don't mean this as a bad thing but like you wouldn't watch it and think it's a Canadian movie you would watch it and think it's a Hollywood movie yeah interesting well yeah I, I feel like i mean it's good to hear because like, i feel like just a lot of canadians just go to america because it's so close right there's like no point mm-hmm. but it's good to hear that some of us are sticking out for canada yeah yeah uh, that does sound like an interesting movie look that up. so that is women talking directed by sarah Pauly. look forward at the oscars this year exciting my next movie is The Adam Project. Hi, can you make me slow down? There's no one even following us. Don't look back. Look up. Uh, I think we're about to have some company. Stop the car. What? What? Stop! Go, 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 reverse! Laura, this is me. Parallel contact, babe. Well, you know, you've always said that you wished you'd met me earlier. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this was another effort by Ryan Reynolds and his, I guess, director in tow at this point. Uh, what's his name? It's like Adam something. He worked on Stranger Things and he's worked on the Free Guy movie. Let me check. His name is Sean Levy. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, it's uh. 2022 science fiction movie released on Netflix as well has kind of a stacked cast like you got Zoe Zaldana, Jennifer Garner, Catherine Keener I guess she's kind of big Mark Ruffalo and Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. uh, filmed in Vancouver so another Canadian another Canadian release oh but yeah it's it's a it's a pretty cute movie about I guess right I it's tough for me to Ryan Reynolds is basically a time traveler who I think he crash lands his ship on in a different time when he was a kid and basically shows up at his childhood home 
Oh my god, I can't even remember the plot on. I swear, I loved. It. I like this movie a lot. Uh, he Do you want me to help on. you? Yeah, yeah, maybe help me. <laughs> All right. So the Adam Project is about Ryan Reynolds, who is, if I remember right, he's actually like a star fight. He's like a very good starfighter from the future. I don't know if it's actually a starfighter, if he's just like an Air Force pilot, but he's a pilot is the main thing. And he goes back in time. I don't remember if that's a thing that his ship can just do or if he has like an experimental ship, but he goes back in time to um, when he was a kid and he meets up with himself and then him and himself have to go and find their dad who invented time travel and i can't fully remember why but they're trying to protect him from whoever it was that ryan reynolds came back to the past to get away from which might have been his boss that might be like a like a big almost spoiler that yeah yeah okay i don't know if that really cleared things up but still (laughs) it's still confusing i don't know i I feel bad it's i think it's a great movie but it's not because of the sci-fi plot i think the sci-fi plot is just there to give the viewer some action and to give a reason for the plot to happen. But I, I just, I love the the scenes uh, about, I, I love the idea of just like Ryan Reynolds interacting with his past self and I guess sort of bonding with his dad before his dad dies in, in that one timeline. I'm not, if I remember right, uh, his dad is he goes back and finds his younger self and his his dad is not alive at that point already. I think they have to go back yeah. further. Yeah, he shows up in the, like the third act or something. I thought they had some some great chemistry, um, Ryan Reynolds and the kid. There's some sweet, really sweet moments too. I love, there's like a couple scenes where they really comment on, I guess Ryan Reynolds looks back a lot and despite like the fun vibe of the movie, he looks back with regret to a lot of uh, like the way he treated his mom, for example. And I guess it's just kind of cool. Like he's, he's in a way kind of learning while he's learning about, or trying to remember like, or seeing what happened in his past. He's also developing as a character. Cause he just realized, I guess in some ways, how much pain he was holding on to when he was a kid. And this is kind of his interesting way of fixing some of those issues. So yeah, it's, it's like a really sweet story. I definitely think it's like a, that's a really long movie for what it's talking about. I think the effects are decent, like for a Netflix film, but they obviously aren't great. What else is there? But like, I think overall, there's like a really interesting story at its core. And um, if you if you can get make it through the movie for the most part, it is a very sweet story, I think. And another very surprising Netflix movie for me that I didn't see coming. Also, I remember the the action scenes were actually pretty well directed, which really surprised me. Um, there are some really cool uh, like sci-fi tools that the villains use or Ryan Reynolds used at certain points that I thought were just really, they were surprisingly inventive considering I felt like I was like, it felt like a B movie, but it had some cool like A-list um, action scenes, I guess. Yeah. There's, as you were talking about this, there's two things I sort of remembered from this movie um, that I wanted to say. Like the first thing is the kid, the actor's name is Walker Scoble. I don't say this as a completely good thing. I think he's perfectly cast. And the way <laughs> and the reason I say I don't say this as a good thing is he feels exactly like a little Ryan Reynolds. And you know, on on the one hand, that's awesome because like they got someone who 
perfectly embodies what Ryan Ren- what a Ryan Reynolds like character would be as a kid. On the other hand, uh, I know that Ryan Reynolds is a bit of a grading character, the one that he typically does for a lot of people. And I think that anyone who is a little bit tired of Ryan Reynolds at this point will be immediately tired of the kid. Yeah. Because I think he actually did a really good job in being Ryan Reynolds, but tiny. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some kind of like theme there where it's like Ryan Reynolds is basically the exact same person he was as a kid. Like he never really grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like something there. But then also I, I see what people mean where it's like, like how, how are you that quick witted as a seven year old? Like it doesn't make any sense that you take the wits and humor of like a 40 year old man and, he still he still has the same wits and humor when he was seven. Like nothing happened in puberty. So like, yeah. um, like, it's a little unrealistic, but like again, it's it's a really really corny movie. Oh yeah. Honest. Like the I feel like I can spoil this. It hap- It came out a while ago. This isn't really a spoiler too. But like the last scene is, um, he's playing <laughs> he's playing catch with his dad. So like to and like that's like the resolution of his daddy issues basically. So. Uh, when I say it out loud, it sounds really stupid, but it's a very sweet. I, it's like again, it it really embraces the corniness and uh, comes out with like something like I guess refreshing enough to be fun to watch. I guess, especially for like a Netflix movie. I guess there were there were just some weird spots. I remember the the Catherine Keener villain was very weird. I'm not gonna lie. I think we talked about this, wasn't there? I remember there being scenes where I felt like she wasn't even there. Let's see. Was she was C- there because there, there was a younger her that was definitely like CGI slash deep faked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was her, but I think I remember her also looking fake sometimes, or she had a very st- I don't know what it was, but yeah, it was it's good. It's a good movie. It's I wouldn't say it's like it's, this wouldn't be something I would ever pay for, and it's not something I would like. It's just a very casual movie to watch, I guess, with your family. Like, yeah, very low stakes. Some really sweet moments. And just to not leave everyone hanging with... uh, Earlier I said there were two things that stood out to me about this movie. And I just want to say the second thing. It's really quick. This Watching this movie reminded me, as always, how much I like Mark Ruffalo as an actor. I just love seeing him in everything. And he is delightful in this movie. Even though he doesn't get a a heck of a lot of time. Yeah, I I actually thought him and Ryan Reynolds had really good chemistry too. I was really Mm -hmm. surprised by that. I don't know. I I feel like Mark Ruffalo is just like a very warm person he's a very familiar presence to see in, in a, any movie i don't know why but yeah because he never really i don't think i've ever seen him as like an amazing actor i think he's very talented i know? i definitely have seen him as an amazing actor per, Ooh, i what? think dark waters from 2019 oh is that that's the journalist movie right i think he's a lawyer but yes oh lawyer okay cool i do i do want to watch that i heard he was good in that was he was nominated yeah. for that right I don't think he was nominated at... He definitely wasn't nominated at the Oscars. He was nominated at the Oscars for something else, though. I don't remember where it was, but it happened a while back. He may have been nominated at the Golden Globes. And the interesting thing to me about Dark Water is it was nominated for Best International Movie at the... I don't remember what they're called. But basically the French version of the Oscars, Mm. which I thought was kind of cool. Because they don't... It's not like they usually nominate English movie, American movies there. Like it doesn't, it's not consistently, it doesn't happen every year. 
And that was one year where they nominated Dark Water, which didn't even get any Oscar nominations, which was like, oh, cool. The people who run the French Oscars thought this was one of the best American movies of the year. That's pretty neat. That's cute. I really like that. I sorry, I was thinking of Spotlight. That's why I was Yes. <laughs> he was nominated and he played a reporter in that. I was like completely off. So yeah, that is the comedy movie of 2022. Uh winner of the People's Choice Award for the comedy movie of 2022, The Adam Project. Wait, seriously? Yeah, it won the People's Choice uh, Award for the <laughs> comedy movie of 2022. Comedies are in a sore spot. I feel like just anything with Ryan Reynolds is just deemed a comedy, unfortunately. I mean, I've actually really wanted to talk about the People's Choice Awards for a long time now because I find the People's Choice Awards so fascinating. Mm. I didn't like literally, I haven't watched it in so, so long. The People's Choice Awards, what, what was nominated this year? The movie of 2022 was Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, there you go. Which beat out <laughs> The Batman, Bullet Train, Elvis, Jurassic World, Dominion. Nope. No. Thor, Love and Thunder, and Top Gun Maverick. I'm which actually, is like, what is that lineup? I'm really surprised Bullet Train made it. I, I Now I love the People's Choice Awards. I think any, <laughs> any, any establishment that nominates Bullet Train should be respected. So if the Academy is listening to this, you have one job. <laughs> one job. I'm actually I can't believe Mark. I I tell you, I loved Mark Ruffalo in uh, Seven. Was he in Seven? I gotta rewatch. Oh that. no, it's not. Sorry, not Seven. A Zodiac. Right. Yes. Yeah, he was really good in that. Uh, our friend Matthew Simpson put that as one of his top ten movies of all time in ContraZoom's Sight and Sound poll. It is a really good movie. I I think the only problem with me not thinking it's like a perfect movie is that there's not really an ending. I, I think it makes sense because like obviously the Zodiac killer's never caught, but it's like it still it still hurts. I, I need it. I, I really like it as some kind of conclusion in those movies. It's one I've been meaning to watch for a long time and I gotta get around to it. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah, you should. There's a little bit of time between when we're recording this episode and when it comes out. I'm gonna try really, really hard to make good on every single promise I say in this episode of I'm gonna watch that before this episode comes out. I'm gonna try really hard. <laughs> yeah, let's go. So I might just have to like write myself a well I, I gotta write myself a list of what I gotta watch before this episode comes out. All right. Good to me. So, you ready for my next movie, Pierre? Yes, sir. This next movie is something very special. Once again, it is something I saw at the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. And what was even more special is at the Toronto International Film Festival, the director and the star of this movie flew out all the way from the Philippines just to be there. I got to talk to the star of this movie. It was really cool. The movie I'm talking about is Leonore Will Never Die. Hey, 
pagbagong palabas, alam niya. Pero pagbayad ng kuryente, hindi niya magawa. This movie is bonkers. It's about a screenwriter in... I believe she's in Manila, but she's definitely in the Philippines. She might be on like the outskirts of Manila. She's a screenwriter who used to write old, low-budget Filipino action movies. And uh, she's been out of work for a while because of a tragedy that happened in her in, in her family. Her son died a few years ago. And I guess it's unclear. I don't remember. I don't know if it's unclear. I don't remember how long ago her son died. If she has just not written since then or if she's just been kind of stuck because she's kind of hung up on it. But this movie is mostly about her getting through this. But the way that that happens, like the way that she like gets through it is she has this screenplay that she's been working on for years and she can't figure out the ending of it. And the character in the screenplay is a not subtle at all insert for her son who's passed away. And um, in order to figure out the ending of her screenplay, she, through a series of events, accidentally winds up in her own movie. And then she has to like write her ending on the fly because she's currently living it, which is very funny. She's writing old action movies. So like they're very tropey and very corny. Her The basic plot of the movie she's writing is one guy's brother dies and he like holds him in his arms as he's dying and screams to the heavens that he'll get revenge. And the people he's got to get revenge on are the local drug cartel who are like selling drugs to kids. And they're, they've got a bunch of martial artists on payroll that can just like fight anybody if they need to. So he's got to fight his way to the drug boss and like take him out. And so it's the movie she's writing is very cliched. And she like addresses all of those cliches once she has to specifically deal with it. Like, there's a really cool scene in this where she meets the drug boss that she's written. And she's like, why are you doing this? And he's like, "That's it's what I do. It's what I was written to do. This is my job. I'm the drug boss. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess that is really all you have going for you, isn't it? Let me figure out how to deal with this. <laughs> it's very cool because, like, um, it's full of, like, a bunch of strange and, like, abstract ways of storytelling and it just sort of like it moves between storytelling modes so often and like so jarringly but it still works the whole way like the ending of this movie is amazing i don't want to spoil what it is but even if you see the like at no point during the movie could i have seen the, the ending coming it's such a weird departure from everything else even in terms of the filmmaking, like as you're watching the movie, it starts to become one interpretation that I hope isn't actually spoiling anything. One interpretation of the movie starts to become clear where like the main character isn't necessarily an insert for the director, but you start to realize that this, that like the paratext of this, of this movie, like what's going on outside of just inside the movie is that the actual director of this had a screenplay she was working on for a long time and couldn't figure out how to finish it and didn't figure out how to finish it until she was literally working on the movie. Yeah. And like, it's very cool how that resolves. Whoa. It's such yeah. a weird movie and it's like, it's very meta. It's very strange. 
And it is one of the most unique cinematic experiences I think I've had, certainly this year, maybe in a long oh, time. You're really, you're really selling this movie. That sounds it's good, amazing. Yeah. Where did you, did, so you watched, did you watch this in theaters? I think, oh yeah, because you said the I, Q&A thing happened, right? Yeah, I watched this at TIFF. So. Yeah, but did you add, did you, were you able to ask anything? Um, I, I was not, and uh, probably it's probably good that I wasn't able to ask anything because most of the questions were coming from Filipino people in the audience who had very, very, very good questions and were like oh, nice. very happy to see a Filipino filmmaker. Um, yeah. I don't know what questions I would have had, but I did get to talk to the, uh, I did get to talk to the actress afterwards, which was very cool. I got a picture with her that is actually on our Twitter. So. Oh, wow. Oh, that's sweet. I told her afterwards that I was like, I'm, I'm really bad at smiling. And she looked at me and went, no, 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 oh, you're okay. I think you told me about this person. Yeah. I think I remember you saying that. Oh, that's cool. Like, so uh, this, this must have been a very, did she talk about like, I guess it was a, like, I mean, it's ex an extremely personal project for her. Right? Yeah, it was very, it was very personal for like everyone involved. This was actually the lead actress of this. This is actually her first movie. She's, oh, I wow. think she's in her seventies, but this was her first movie. This mm -hmm. was not her first acting project. She was like, um, she was basically offered the role on the spot after the producer and the director saw her in a local theater production of, I do not remember what, but it was a local theater production. And she, she's been a professional actor for mm -hmm. a long time. She's just never acted in movies. So this was like her first introduction to being in movies. This was the director's, I don't think it was her first film, but it might have been. It was definitely her biggest project. And she's before this, she's been primarily a cinematographer and editor. Mm -hmm. um, so I think she did the cinematography and the editing for this movie her, all herself. And... I don't know exactly what personal connection the producer had to this movie, but the way that she talked about it, it was very clear that she was extremely involved with the making of this movie and that it was also a personal project for her. I just don't know. I, I could not relay that. Oh, okay. Oh, that's really sweet. I, I, I do really like it when, even if it's not great, when an act, like a director kind of bring them, brings themselves to their roots, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, And I think what's really special about Leonor Will Never Die is not only is it like a very personal project and a very low budget personal project, mm. it's also, it's also really, really good. Like mm. I would put it, I, I wouldn't probably put it on the same level as everything everywhere all at once, but there are a lot of comparisons I could draw because they're both very personal projects made with a comparatively very small team compared to like a lot of other movies out there in the case yeah. of Leonor will never die it was like actually a shoestring team in the case of everywhere all everything everywhere all at once it's a superhero movie made by like dozens of people instead of thousands of people mm -hmm. yeah huh. cool that, that's that does sound really good yeah <laughs> There's too many good movies. I gotta catch up now. Okay, so for my number three, yeah, number three, number three. I am going to be. Ah, uh, which one should I pick? 
Oh God. I think I'm gonna pick Smile. My name is Dr. Rose Cotter. What do you want from me? Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead and you're alive? I've seen it too. You... You have it? was a very uh, it's probably like it's definitely the, the scariest movie of the year i think it's a very uh no it's psychedelic i don't know how to say it, it's creepy it's psychedelic you never really know what's happening and i mm-hmm. feel like it it's it doesn't really do anything special i i feel like i've seen this movie before this is very is very reminiscent of the ring i guess actually there's a lot of movies i heard after the ring there was a lot of movies that kind of followed the same path of uh, basically like the first the first victim there's a there's a victim that comes upon something and then they spend their it's a horror movie but they spend the rest of the movie trying to figure out how to I don't know get to the bottom of the mystery behind the curse or whatever's behind them and uh, yeah it, it's 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 kind of a throwback horror movie but I thought it was really good I think the smile thing it was marketed like amazingly well like I think they shot scenes specifically for the trailer they made it seem a lot different than I was expecting. But yeah, the whole smiling thing is scary. Uh, it has a great cast. I'm trying to think of who's in it off the top of my head. It is uh, Kevin Bacon's daughter, I believe. I did not know that. That's really cool. Sosie Bacon. What the hell? Have I seen her? Yeah, okay. I haven't seen her anything before. Actually not. I don't really recognize any of these names either. I thought I recognized more people, but... Um, yeah, great cast. Uh, interesting plot. I, I it ends on a very depressing note, but um, yeah, it's it feels like a very refreshing horror movie, despite the fact that a lot of it's ex- extremely cliche. I think just the idea of the smile thing is is interesting enough. I don't know. There's not really much to say about this movie. Very straightforward. Uh, One character movie. that I definitely recognized was Cal Penn. Uh, who is Kumar from Harold and Kumar. He played her boss. Oh, yeah. He was in it. I forgot. Sorry, he had like a really small role. I was surprised mm-hmm. to see him, honestly. I hadn't seen him in anything for so long. So, yeah, that was cute. And, uh, yeah. Oh, the I, I want to say the effects were really good, too. Or the, the scares. They were very interesting scares. Yeah, actually, the, the, the scares in this movie were really effective. I think it was really good at sort of keeping you on your toes where like you could kind of guess what was coming next, but how things actually played out were, um, were always just a little bit different than you would have expected. Well, I think like what makes it interesting is that, uh, I, I never, it it keeps you on edge because you just never know if anything's real or not. I thought it Mm -hmm. would get tiring after a while that, but it, 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 I thought it was effective like literally every time because I was just, my brain had to like sense like the auditory cues for what might be coming. If, if, some, if this is real or not or whatever too. But yeah, I, I, that really, I was surprised how well that actually worked because I, I feel like other movies have done it before and I did not like it as much. I think the only thing I have to say, the only thing I have to add to this movie is um, 
this isn't really a spoiler, but the movie is very much about Sosie Bacon's character, Rose Cotter, her personal traumas. And I think that the way the movie plays out, it sort of, by the end, writes itself a little bit into a corner where I personally didn't love the ending, but I think I would have hated any other ending more. Like, I think it gets itself into a point where, like, there's not a great resolution for the conflict of the movie. Yeah, well, I I think a lot of it, from what I remember, is, like, it, it feels like a very big metaphor for... Uh was it like PTSD, right? Basically. Yeah. But the thing is like, uh, she, I thought the the point of the movie was that she, she could learn to like, like trust herself and find people that truly love her and stuff. Like, like she, she gets out of like what turns out to be a toxic relationship because she doesn't realize that this guy is, uh, does not want to support her when things get pretty tough. Oh, that's why I recognize him. He was from the boys. Her boyfriend. Yeah, he's A Train. He's A Train. Yeah, yeah. And then her, and then she gets back with her ex, who she rejected because she couldn't deal with the fact that I think it was like she couldn't deal with the fact that he actually loved her, and she didn't. She didn't like that because she didn't want to open up to him. And that, and they kind of like get when when they go through they when they're kind of at the end of the movie. She does go through that revelation, and she talks about it. But yeah, the way it ends, it's just like the. It felt like the theme of the movie was don't get over your trauma because it's just going to kill you or something like that. Like don't get close to people because like, it's just going to hurt you more because like the way it ended, it just made the entire movie feel pointless. But again, it's a horror movie. So it's supposed to make you feel very like desperate, you know, again, like the ring ended the same way too. Actually the ring was a lot more hopeful because she kind of wins, I guess in the ring, even though someone else dies. But yeah, I think like it, it presents a conflict where if the movie's message is you can overcome that conflict, it doesn't feel authentic. And if the movie's message is you must succumb to that conflict, then it also feels kind of shitty. So it's like, it, it puts itself, I don't know if that may, if, if I am eff- explaining it effectively, mm-hmm. but like th- the writing of this movie puts itself into a place where there actually is no resolution that's, satisfying or unsatisfying in a satisfying way um at least that's what i I see i see what you mean where i think you're right like either extremely if it ends well you know due to it being like a horror movie uh, yeah horror movie like thriller i feel like too good of an ending like i get that um i i kind of liked it i think it was just a very cheesy movie overall right so i I wouldn't have minded a corny ending i think it would have fit in like this isn't like some high-minded like <laughs> thinker of a movie if that makes sense so mm-hmm. i wouldn't have minded that i just think it, it, it it's just kind of annoying to watch the whole movie and uh realize like there was literally no point to anything they did like it was just the whole thing was basically exposition to understand the ending rather than her actually making any progress mm-hmm. but again like i don't think it ruins the movie i think it i think the director just chose an ending that they preferred and I think either worked overall. It it almost felt like it changed the man at the last second, honestly. Um, but yeah, anyways, I it's a, it's it's a really solid movie. I I wouldn't say it's like one of the best horror movies ever or whatever, but it's like a very very cheesy little flick to watch. And um, yeah, I don't know. This was a good year for horror movies, honestly. Yeah, I did read that uh, 
the director of this movie filmed multiple endings. So mm-hmm. I don't know. So like maybe those alternate endings exist. And this, this feels like a movie that could really use alternate endings, not necessarily a choose your own, but like, I kind of want to see like all the different ways this could have resolved. Yeah. I think that, that'd be cool too. I might've been, a, I've always wanted to see a movie. Actually, I guess I did that with clue where have you seen clue? I have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where they, they had, if depending on the theater or showing you went to, they would have shown a different ending. Now, when you rent it, they show all the endings, but like that, I think that's a really cool idea. And I think it'd be really interesting to see more movies try that in the future. Yeah. Yep. That's my number three. Moving on. Here's a movie that I was pretty excited for, and it blew me away when I finally saw it. Uh, I, I hope you will have had a similar experience. Uh, this is from. One of my one of my favorite guys in Hollywood. He's won a couple of well, he's been nominated for the Oscars a lot. The Oscars seem to really like him, but he won for Shape of Water, and he was uh, he was up last year again for Nightmare Alley. This is from Guillermo del Torino himself. We got Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but <laughs> you don't. Over there! What is that? Papa! <gasps> it speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand! I don't think I have to spend too much time explaining what Pinocchio is. At this point, it's maybe the most filmed story ever. But I think Guillermo del Toro puts a really, really cool spin on it in a couple of places. Specifically, because he sets this in the 1930s in Italy instead of the 1800s or like a nondescript time period. And I think that he uses that really effectively. Because this movie is set during the rise of fascism in Italy. So this movie is themes of anti-fascism are fully present through this movie. And I think it's like really cool that uh, they do that. I mean, I make it sound more highbrow than it actually is because there's a song. There's an entire song in this where Pinocchio just sings, just sings over and over again. Like Mussolini, you like poop. You smell like farts. You are farts. You are poop. Yes, poop your excellency. And like, it's really funny and it's not, I mean, it's, it's always really funny to like talk about how important this movie is as an anti-fascist work and then show the scene of him calling Mussolini a poop head. It's really cool. <laughs> But like beyond that too, I think this movie takes the themes of the general themes of Pinocchio and does a really cool spin on them. Specifically, the ending of this movie is amazing. I love the way this movie ends, especially how it subverts the typical expectations of how you would expect the story of Pinocchio to be adapted. I've heard Guillermo del Toro talk about it a little bit too. And like, 
I don't know how it could have ended any other way after hearing him talk about it. What did you think of Pinocchio? Because you actually saw it before I did. Yeah, I was going to say this is my number two as well, so I might as well knock him. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, no, I I thought it was... I've actually never seen any form of Pinocchio uh, ever. I I knew very little about the story other than the character from Shrek. (laughs) 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 Who wants to be a real boy and, like, wears a thong or whatever. Um, Right. But, yeah, so it's uh, a lot different um but yeah it's it's a very i mean i'm guessing it's a lot different in in tone from the disney movie but I'm, i don't think i've ever seen such a bleak movie shine through in such a positive way and that makes sense like it's a very mm-hmm. very depressing movie like unbelievably depressing where like literally the start the start is you, you spend 10 minutes it's a, it's a very long i, I was surprised i opened long the opening was where it's like five to ten minutes of you getting to learn about the relationship between the uh what the, um, I don't know, the, the dad's name geppetto and the, his geppetto son and his son alberti or it's it's carlo <laughs> carlo <laughs> i was close yeah it, it's like his death is like really really sad you know and and then you, to see geppetti uh become like a shell of a man in the next 10 years is like a really tough thing to watch, you know? Um, and somehow this is all, I think kind of brought to life through, uh, what's his name? Owen Ma- Ewan McGregor. Oh, you no, McGregor. sorry. Ewan McGregor narrating it. And for some reason it makes it feel a lot more like, like childish and whimsical, mm-hmm. like in a good way, mm-hmm. right? Like he's like a very, he has a very warm voice. I think yeah. it's the best way to say that, where it feels like he's narrating children's story, but what you're watching is very much like a very depressing, mature part of a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, it, I think it, it was just really interesting to see like that point of view and uh, how he really balanced. I actually, I don't even know if I could say Guillermo tried to balance the themes out. It's like he just went full out and there was a lot of very silly, childish moments and humor. And there was a ton of extremely depressing moments. And I don't really think, I think this movie had to be made on Netflix because I don't see an audience for this. Like I, if I brought, if I had like a five-year-old that I brought to this, it would have been a very awkward thing to watch. And, but again, it's Pinocchio and it's a stop motion Mm -hmm. movie. So like, I don't know many adults that would go to the theaters for this either. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's quite the ride. It's a very, very unique movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could tell the source material meant a lot to Guillermo del Toro watching this. Yeah, sure. I will talk about this a little more. I, I don't want to go into spoilers here just because we're talking about so many movies and I don't want to spoil 10 movies. But like, I hope that we will eventually get some more time to talk about this because like, I really, really loved the ending and I really want to talk about the ending specifically. I think the way that this movie handles themes of what it means to be human, what it means to be an individual, death, grief. The way that it handles all these themes is amazing. Like it's, it's such a good movie. I heard um, a lot. There's a quote that I always liked from a really old review of Paranorman that said like the movie Paranorman is a better parent than most parents. And like, (laughs) I honestly think that you could say the same about Pinocchio. Not not the exact same words, but the same sentiment. Like, this movie 
talks about these themes that I think this would be a maybe a maybe a bit rough to bring your five year old to, but like if you brought your twelve year old to this, this this movie talks about those themes like themes that are very hard to broach when talking to children, and it it communicates them very very well and like better than a lot of other movies I've seen. Like I haven't seen a movie that's talked about how to be like what it means to be human as well as this, at least not a movie that's done that and also been aimed vaguely towards children. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like, I, especially how it doesn't really shy away from the topics you're talking about and it doesn't try to make it better or like more practically. I feel like in a lot of movies they'll have your time out, like these really depressing topics like grief and death um, and depression there's usually like some kind of like like it's okay it's like in the end everything works out and like it's going to be better this movie doesn't say that at all it it really just says these things exist mm-hmm. and they're there and it's kind of like up up to you whether uh how you want to feel about that you know yeah and it's it's a very dark it's it's simultaneously a very dark message but also a very mature and like warm-hearted message in a way too it's hopeful, but not because it's obviously trying to be optimistic. It's hopeful because it's very like, these things happen and here's how people tend to deal with them. And these are some healthy ways of dealing with them mm-hmm. Yeah, versus it's, some it's, unhealthy ways. It's, it's almost like how, like the absence of trying to make it better doesn't make, it makes it seem not so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, uh. Yeah, because it's not treating it like such a big deal. It's just like, that's part of life. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it could get better or worse or however you want to see it. But um, yeah, and it just, I don't know, part of me just made me feel so much more relaxed about a lot of these things. This is, this is definitely, I, I see like what you mean. Like this movie is like the epitome of like, like understanding puberty, I guess, in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess. I wish I had this movie when I was like 13 or even mm-hmm. like 17 or something like that when I was like beginning to learn a lot about the world. Um, it's amazing. It's such a unique movie. And I think, I don't know if it's going to be that big. Like, I, again, I, I think this is a very, very complex movie to sell. I don't know how you would advertise this. I don't know anyone I would recommend to go see this, if I'm going to be honest. I mean, I recommended um, it to my sister the moment I got out of the theater. Oh, but my, my yeah. sister's also into animation and like likes vaguely yeah. the same things as me. So maybe that's biased, but yeah. still. Stop, stop motion's also like a very hard sell for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Unless I guess you're into animation too, for sure. But but yeah, I, I can't, if we're not going to spoil it, there's not much else to say. It's, it's probably one of the most interesting kids movies I've ever seen, if you can call it that, though. I can for sure say that. The one other thing I will say is that the screenplay was written by Guillermo del Toro and also a man named Patrick McHale, who wrote a, uh, who created a show called Over the Garden Wall, which is a miniseries that aired on Cartoon Network, which apparently was, I've only ever heard it talked about as one of the best cartoons ever made. So like, this has very, very big talent behind it. And I think Mm. if my sister hasn't seen it yet, if I tell her the guy behind Over the Garden Wall made it, she will immediately go and watch it. So if, if that is a thing, if that is an argument for anyone that's listening to this, go watch it. Also over the garden wall is another thing I got to watch here pretty soon. I'll just write it down on my list. (laughs) There you go. 
So that was your number two. So yeah, so we're already because I still want to trade off. Why don't you do your number one first? Sure. Um, and I guess one number one is a is a soft term. Yeah, sure. Uh, more like my number ten or something. Um, my number <laughs> one of the year that I haven't talked about here yet is uh, Scream. I guess this is like Scream Five, technically, but yeah, there's there's like a cute little. I think they put a V in like Scream. I'm trying to think. There's a V in the M. No, or is that Scream Four? Whatever. I don't know. There there's like a V in there somewhere when they actually write it out. But yeah, it's it's a Scream kind of reboot. Um, I I watched it in January. I can't believe it came out this year. Um, and then I watched it again recently because I, on Halloween, I started watching, rewatching the screen. I'd never seen the other screen movies. So I was very interested. And I, I watched Scream one to four and then I watched five again uh, to kind of like understand. Cause I, I, when I watched five, I was like really confused about the context of a lot of the characters. Um, but yeah, it's a really, it's a really cute movie um, about, uh, I guess, I mean, all screen movies, it's literally like, there's a killer who's killing random people and they have something to do with uh, the main character played by Nev Campbell. I can't remember her name in the, in the movie, but yeah. And then you, you have some, a lot of new characters come up. I think, I mean, the biggest one right now is what's her name? Jenny Ortega or Jenna Ortega. I feel like Jenna I'm seeing, her everywhere. I'm seeing yeah. her everywhere right now because of that show Wednesday. Um, but yeah, she's really good in this. Um, I don't, I can't remember. Oh, there's uh, Stewie from The Boys. <laughs> he was he was in that movie too. I forgot about that. He was really great in that movie as well. I was really surprised because I don't really like him in The Boys, but he was good in this movie. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, and it, it's like a very straightforward plot. Um, obviously, Scream is like, has always been a very meta franchise. So there's a lot of commentary on, I guess in this one specifically, it's commentary on modern horror movies, heavy commentary on reboots where they have a new cast of characters and then they bring in some of the old cast, which does happen in this movie as well, where we have, oh my God, is his name? Oh no, Dewey. Sorry. Dewey. I, 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 was, I was like- Pretty close. It's Huey. Yeah. Huey. <laughs> God damn it. Huey. Huey comes back and he's more of like, he's almost like the Han Solo of this movie where he comes back and he's like the only, he's like the biggest main character returning. Um, he kind of serves as a mentor to the younger cast. Wait, was he and... in earlier Scream movies? Yeah, he's in all of them. No, he wasn't in any of them. What are you talking about? Huey? 
Huey from the boys? Jack Quaid? No, sorry. Huey, Huey, sorry. Huey's from the boys, but the the character's name in the Scream franchise might be Dewey then. He has a very similar name. That's why I got confused. Oh, there is a guy named... Okay, there is a guy named Dewey, and he's okay, played yeah. by David Arquette. Okay, yeah, David I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, he he's in this movie, and he he's great. I I don't I don't think I've seen David Arquette in anything else, but I loved him in most of the screen movies as they go on. I think I don't I don't think I liked him a lot in the first one. But he's got progressively better as it goes along. I loved him in this one. I thought he was really really good. Um, he's able to bring I don't know how to say he brings such a warm but. He's like such a warm but tired presence to the franchise, <laughs> which makes so much sense because it's literally the same movie every time. And so obviously this character is just kind of gotten old and he's just kind of tired of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a good heart, you know, and uh, yeah. And they they bring in like, I like how they don't, they don't ignore any of the past movies either. I feel like all of them are kind of lightly referenced. They bring back some people from screen four, which was supposed to be like, the other screen reboot but that uh screen four didn't make that much money but it's not like they ignore that movie at all which i really like and yeah there's like some like it's not really a scary movie i'd say it's just kind of like a fun fun slasher movie and it's i think it's directed really well most of the acting's good i don't really like the new main character um i thought she was like just kind of there for most of it Mm-hmm. But I think it's made up for by like a lot of the side characters as well, and the return of you know Nev Campbell and uh, what's her name? Oh my god, Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, yeah, Courtney Cox was also pretty good in this too. Um, her and David, I was really so like her and David Arquette uh, were married until Scream. It's so weird. They met on Scream One. They divorced right after Scream Four, which was like when the franchise kind of ended. Mm-hmm. and they're still friends but uh yeah you, you felt you could feel like there's there's still a lot of chemistry between them and they were to me they're really like they were the heart of this franchise the whole time so it was like really nice to to see see them working together too and uh yeah i don't it's it's a great throwback it's a great new movie i just i think some the parts i didn't like was just that it was it got it tried to be a little too meta i think like again that's the whole point of every screen movie but like i think the reason this the oh, i don't know this is a spoiler i mean it came out a while ago I'm, I'm just gonna say the reason this happened was because the two villains are like reddit users or something like that <laughs> and and they basically wait have you seen scream 5 i can't remember i haven't seen any of these yet I'm, oh, okay i'm not gonna write them down in my list because that's five movies and i yeah, don't want to i don't want to put too many on my list but that's i do want to eventually see these um but yeah basically they it's so weird. They're based. They they look at. They're using like a fake movie, like The Last Jedi, as a template. They looked at the backlash from The Last Jedi, and they were kind of criticizing that, where they say like reboots. Reboots are all terrible now, and like we're the whole point is they're gonna make like a better reboot. It's it's a it's a criticism on like it's a parody on like online fan culture, a parody of reboots and franchises and stuff, and some surprising. It like it literally says there's like a. There's like an in-universe mo- series of movies called Stab, which are basically the Scream movies remade in-universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like Stab 8. And then they're like, which is obviously the Star Wars Episode 8. And they're saying right. how, and I think they literally say Ryan Johnson directed it too. Oh my <laughs> they God. Talk about, they talk about how the online backlash 
destroyed the stab franchise or something and it's so it's so weird but it like works and literally like there's scenes where the characters will watch online like podcasts about the stab movies and stuff which are obviously podcasts about star wars and so it's like very weird how they're like they're meta commentating on like the scream franchise and then also the star wars franchise at the same time but i don't know it's it's a very it's a very fun movie doesn't really do anything truly new from the other screen movies but i think bringing in the new cast um while they weren't great were, were pretty interesting and uh they really revived the franchise i think with this movie it felt very fresh and surprisingly modern considering it's like a 25 year old franchise like mm-hmm. like it, it was very surprising and again it's literally i know i haven't seen them it's literally the same movie every time with like a slight twist and it still happens. It's still surprisingly like interesting every time. So I don't know. I really liked it. And uh, I'm excited for Scream 6, which comes out, I think, I want to say this year, actually. It's coming out soon. Technically, it's it's not 2022, if anyone thinks this year means that. Oh, sorry. But I think yeah. it is 2023. Yeah. Yeah, 2023. That is really fast. They really fast Oh, my God. March. It comes out in March. Wait, that's actually insane. Holy wow. Shit. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I, I can get all year. of the Scream movies. Maybe I can watch all the Scream movies before then, and then we can talk about Scream 6 on the show. That would be cool. They are they are a very, like, it's a very easy five movies to watch, if that makes sense. Like, you don't have to watch mm-hmm. them close together. It sounds like even in terms of the format, they stand alone well enough, too. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true, but, like, yeah. No, yeah, I, I definitely think Scream 5, like, if you haven't seen the other four, there's a lot of callbacks and references that don't make a lot of sense. But again, because it's basically the same movie every time, it's bas- it's like enjoyable by itself. Like, well, you said five you is- saw this twice, too. Like, you saw 5, and then you watched everything else, and then you watched 5 again, right? I did, yeah. And I still liked, I liked 5 the first time I watched it. I just... I didn't understand a lot of references, but it didn't really bother yeah. me because like it's been, the continuity of the Scream franchise is, isn't really too concerning to me. Even it though it sounds it, like the, the continuity of the, of the Scream franchise isn't something that the people who manage the Scream franchise care that much about either. Yeah. Like clearly exactly. they maintain it, but they, but like the fact that this movie exists and makes fun of exactly that sounds to me like they could take it or leave it. Yeah, but I mean, again, that's every screen movie is basically making fun of itself. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's an int- very interesting franchise. But yeah, that's my that's my number one. I'd say. And also, uh, mo- very interesting about this, Scream Five won the most frightened performance for Jenna Ortega at the MTV Movie and TV Awards. Mm. Yeah, she was actually. I mean, I don't know if she was that that good but seeing her be scared compared to every other actor in the every other actor that that is attacked in this movie she she really pulls it off especially considering her age she she adds a whole other layer to being scared if that makes sense compared to everyone else but yeah she she was really she was actually really good if you um now that i know her i feel like maybe i'm i noticed that more but she definitely is like a level above all of the new cast in terms of acting acting ability so, yeah. Are you ready for, for the last one I'm going to talk about? This is my number three of the year, and it's my number one that we haven't talked about yet. Let's hear it. 
the new movie by Damien Chazelle, Babylon. What about you? Sorry? If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. I love that answer. Something that lasts, that means something. Something yes. more important than life. Yes. It's written in the stars. I am a star. If I had money, I would only spend it on things that were fun, you know? Not boring things like taxes. I'm just wanting for everyone to party forever. I first moved to LA, signs on all the doors said, no actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. And now, y'all ready for something different? Whoa! So this movie is awesome. It's about old Hollywood, like in the 1920s. It's, it's about Hollywood at the end of the silent film era. And just as silent films are transitioning into talkies. Like there's literally a scene in this that happens in 1927 I think Brad Pitt's character goes to see the jazz singer and he comes out and he like calls up his agent and he's like, the world is about to change. It's like, all right, this movie, I don't even know how to describe it. It's so cool. It's, it's a movie about the silent movie stars in the 1920s Hollywood. And just like, it's mostly just really long scenes of, complete batshit insanity of what went on back then. Like the first probably half hour of this movie all takes place at an insane bender that Brad Pitt's character... (laughs) No, is it even Brad Pitt's character? Brad Pitt's character is there. I don't even think he's running it. Like this huge party being put on by a big time Hollywood producer where everyone who's anyone in Hollywood is there. And Brad Pitt is there. Because he's like a big famous movie star. And you got Margot Robbie comes in who is who has never been in a movie. But she just comes in and she's like, I'm a famous movie star. And eventually weasels her way in. And then uh, Diego Calva, the real star of the movie. The way that this movie starts. Oh man, I'm jumping all over the place. The way this movie starts, Diego Calva is working for this Hollywood producer. And he's like getting stuff ready for the party. He's been tasked with bringing an elephant to the party. So he like orders an an elephant off the black market and he goes to like pick up the elephant on the side of the road out in the desert of California. And like he, he's got him and his people bringing this elephant and they have to get this out. They have to like find a way to get this elephant to this Hollywood producer's castle up in Hollywood, up like four mountains And like nothing can hold an elephant. So they end up like it starts with just him meeting the dude who's delivering the elephant or who's supposed to help him take the elephant. And by the time he gets to the castle in Hollywood, he's like he's got a caravan of like 20 different cars all trying to help figure out this elephant. And within the first three minutes, there is an elephant shitting all over everyone. It's wild. This movie opens with elephant shit. It's awesome. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I, you remember you telling me that. I think, I don't know when we talked about that. but uh, yeah. I talked about it once in this episode, but I think I've talked about it before, too. You have. I remember <laughs> the shitting part, for sure. What's really cool about this movie is it, it feels like 
Damien Chazelle's version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's a lot of scenes. It was kind of this way in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A lot of the scenes in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood feel like they're their own thing. Like you could show just the scene of Leonardo DiCaprio uh, doing his Western. You could show that completely isolated and you'd get the whole point. It does feed into the rest of the movie, but really like it's, Really, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a collection of very cool vignettes that are cut together. And th- and Babylon is kind of the same thing with the like connective tissue to make a really good story specifically about, well, mostly about these three characters, the three main characters, Brad Pitt, whose character is like a movie star kind of on his way down, like in something like The Artist or A Star is Born. You've got Margot Robbie, who's a movie star on her way up. It's kind of similar to, again, in The Artist or A Star is Born, but with the distinction that she sort of is coming up as a silent movie star. And then she also doesn't make it over to talkies as well as people who are coming up right into talkies. So it's like a, it's like a different version of that arc. And then you've got Diego Calva, who is basically like becoming a top Hollywood producer at the time. And so it's like three different, it's exploring like three different career paths in a version of Hollywood that just doesn't get the same amount of attention paid to it as a lot of other times in Hollywood. Like this isn't the golden age of Hollywood that people really like to come back to. Even Damien Chazelle to some degree, like, you know, the 50s and the 60s. That's an era of Hollywood that people really like to look back on right now. The 20s, not as much. And like, it's really cool to see Damien Chazelle puts a lot of work into portraying the 20s in this movie. And it's really interesting to see what Hollywood was like during the 20s. I actually got to, um, I saw Damien Chazelle give a talk after this. And he talked about how like, at the time... Like in the in the late teens, early 20s, when Hollywood was like just starting out, being an actor in movies was an extremely like not socially cool profession. Like what Brad Pitt has one um, line in the movie where he specifically says, like, when I came to this city, there were signs all over the doors, dogs and actors not allowed inside. And like. Damien Chazelle sort of like he talked about a couple of anecdotes as well, where I think it was Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton's dad disowned him when he re- when he found out he was acting in movies. And like his dad was an actor. He was like a theater actor. No, he was a vaudeville actor. And he's like, you're in movies. That's not cool. And he's in vaudeville. So it's like it's like the bottom of the bottom. Movies are just a little bit below that. And so because this was like an industry full of outcasts and people who like didn't have anywhere else to go anyway, it ended up being a really strangely progressive space. Like one of the characters in the movie is, I don't know if she's necessarily out, but she's very like, she's very openly lesbian and she just has a successful job in Hollywood for most of the movie because like, it's not something people cared about in that era of Hollywood. And like the very first scene, like the, the big party that's going on, there's orgies going on. There's an elephant. People may or may not actually be dying, 
when they actually go to the set, people are like, they're just hiring homeless people off the street and having them run into swords and like, you know, no one cares about them anyway. So if they die on set, it doesn't really matter and we don't have to pay them. So it's all good. Like, I'm not saying everything is good. And I guess progressive might be an interesting word to use there, but it's like very much the wild West, just no holds barred. Anything goes Hollywood. And it's very cool to see because I haven't seen that in a movie before. And Damien Chazelle does it really well. And he's got like all of these. And like I said, it's like a lot of vignettes that end up working together and being very strange and very cool. It is cool to see Damien. I'm surprised he took as long as a break as he did, honestly. What was his first man? First man. I guess he he did that. Apparently he did a show for Netflix uh, in 2020. I never heard of it. It probably wasn't very good from what I can tell. But yeah, it's uh it's cool to see. This is a I, I look at this is a three hour and ten minute movie. That's yeah. insane. I can't believe he got this through the, the studio, honestly. He must have a lot of goodwill. Um, especially considering the budget too. <laughs> considering the budget, the length, and the subject matter of the movie, I am shocked that Paramount just let him make this. Like, what did he have to do to let Paramount give him, to make Paramount give him that amount of money and that time to tell this story? Yeah, I I don't know. I almost feel like it, it must have been part of a bigger deal where he signed, he must have signed something that, that would keep him at the studio, but he got to make <laughs> that movie with like director's cut or something. Because I can't believe this movie exists. You get to do Babylon, but you have to do the next five SpongeBob movies. <laughs> see, I would kill to see a, a Damien Chazelle SpongeBob movie, especially with like his no, actually, his yeah, interest in music. I think that'd be amazing. Oh, um, straight up, this is hands down the best soundtrack I've heard all year, probably mm. in many years. And I'm gonna be very bold and say this is the best soundtrack to a Damien Chazelle movie. And Damien Chazelle movies are really good for their soundtracks. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's hard to say they aren't. Um, yeah, I, I hope this kind of brings him back. I'm going to be honest. I don't think it, it's going to bring him back into the spotlight, if that makes sense. Because, again, I don't think that many people are going to watch this movie. But the ones that do, I hope, really talk about it. Because I, I, thought, I thought he was probably one of the most interesting new faces coming into Hollywood. Uh when whiplash came out but that's it's been like eight years now and i feel like he hasn't really done anything really that big since la la land even though i know i heard first man was good it just definitely wasn't like a a crowd pleaser you know Mm -hmm. i think you're definitely right like it's it's a hard sell to a general audience to be like go and watch my three and a half hour coke bender movie but like (laughs) the people that do watch it this is going to be not necessarily everyone's favorite Damien Chazelle movie. I really doubt it's going to become like his most acclaimed at all, but it's going to definitely be one of his most talked about among people that like watch all of his filmography. Cause it's just oh, like, sure. it's such a wild movie compared to everything else he's ever done. Like, I mean, yeah. it's nothing like <laughs> Whiplash or La La Land or First Man. It's like, you kind of can get that it's the same director as those, but it's nothing like those movies. I mean, considering he 
probably had literally no <laughs> restraints on this movie. It Pretty makes much. sense that this would be like his craziest movie for sure. Maybe, yeah, the Make- most Chazelle movie. Yeah, it does have like six endings. This movie, and this is one of those movies that ends many times. And like any one of those endings would be a great one. And it just goes on. So at three hours and 12 minutes, I liked all of it. But when people tell me it's too long, I'm like, yeah, no, I get it. I fully get it. Especially because the ending he finally goes with is awesome. It's actually awesome in the way of like, 2001 a space odyssey straight up but it's the most the ending he finally goes with is the most abstract of all the endings that of all the scenes in the movie that could be potential endings straight up there is archival footage of the of the james cameron movie avatar in this movie (laughs) and it's a movie about the 20s i'm not going to expand on that at all but there is footage from avatar in this movie whoa I'm not gonna lie. I feel like, um, like even me, I love movies. Don't get me wrong. I I feel like dread almost like going into this movie because I'm like, this feels like a movie I'd want to watch at home. I guess I don't know if I could go to a theater for for that long with what you're saying, like with how big it is. If that makes sense. If you have over your holidays, like a full Saturday where you're not doing anything, catch a matinee of this movie because it would be awesome. I wouldn't necessarily yeah, recommend going at like nine at night. Yeah, that that <laughs> definitely sounds um, exhausting. But uh, it, it, it looks cool though. Do you, so you think? I mean, wait. Like, do you think this is going to see a lot of Oscar love? Despite, I think it's going to see a lot of nominations. I don't know mm. if it's going to see any wins, but it definitely deserves at least score. Like, this is straight up my favorite film soundtrack from recent memory, anyway. Mm. Wait, so are you just talking about, are, are you talking about like the the soundtrack and the score or just the score or like what? I mean, both. They're very okay. interlinked, but the score okay. is incredible. Okay, cool. And I think like if I were the only one giving out awards, I would for sure uh, talk a lot about, I mean, all three of the leads are fantastic. Diego Calva, who is like the main character in this, he's incredible i think that like him and gene smart are him gene smart and jovan adepo are by far the standouts Hmm. uh javon adepo who plays a jazz trumpet player that you see from the very beginning and he's like almost this movie almost only has main characters but anyway he's one of the characters that we kind of follow throughout the movie he has one of the most heartbreaking scenes of racism i think i've ever seen it's it's legitimately shocking. I mean, I, I can't spoil it, but it is, I, my jaw actually dropped in the theater at like this, at like his big scene. Hmm. Cool. Well, when does it come out? Is it, it's not out officially, right? It comes out Christmas. It's the, it's comes out on the 23rd. Whoa. So next. So yeah. Very cool. This is a Christmas movie. I want to check it out. <laughs> I don't think I'll watch I, it on Christmas, but. I think you'd get a lot out of this if you are able to like, take a Saturday and catch a 3 p.m. showing or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you watch it at home, like you'll still get a lot out of it as like, as long as you can watch it and be invested. But like, if you can make the time to see it prop to see it in a theater, this movie slaps. It's so good. Also, it has one of the most inspired casting decisions just in general, because 
it has Margot Robbie replace like Margot Robbie's character is hired as a replacement for Samara Weaving's character, which is hilarious to me because I always get the two confused. It's meta. <laughs> it's got it all. Samara Weaving. What's her name? Samara Weaving. Samara Weaving. She was in the Babysitter. If you've seen that. Oh my god! Yeah, they do look really similar. Yeah, that that's the last movie I want to talk about. One of my top movies of the year, Babylon. There's number and, one. And uh, yes, and like because this wasn't a traditional top five. What I'm also gonna do with this episode is uh, shortly after this episode comes out, I'm gonna I'm gonna post our respective top tens to uh, probably Twitter, maybe Instagram, maybe something else. We'll we'll post them all over the place so you can see our our full top tens and you can hear a little bit. And uh, now you've heard a little bit about some of the movies that we weren't able to give a little more love to this year. Yes, I definitely think Scream 5 deserves more love. I mean, it does. (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I don't know. I I feel like if there's five of them, I can't need that much more love. (laughs) I mean, it it did get very quickly renewed for a sixth one. Yeah. A little too quick. And I'm like kind of concerned. <laughs> but it's okay. Anyways, it's 2022. This is the last end of 2022. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it's very possible that it will be 2023. But that's okay. So uh, we will talk to you again in a week. I'm not 100% sure what we're doing yet, but I have a pretty good... I have, a, I have, a, I have an idea that's, that it's going to be pretty good and you should tune in. Pierre, what's the last word? Last word of 2022, Pierre. Um, the damn, I'm trying to think of like a reference to a movie. We've seen uh, elephant poop. Wow, what a great one! 